So we're starting a new message series here at Valley Lights Church. My name is Bruce. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm really glad that you've joined us. And what we do is sometimes we walk through a book of the Bible or a certain topic uh, found in the Bible, and you've come on a good day because we're starting a brand new topic called Worst Case Scenarios. Actually, when it comes to like technical difficulties, it could get way worse than what's happened so far. I've been in those situations. So we're not at the worst. A uh, little feedback is uh, not a problem. Those guys are doing a great job. So if I have to, I'll just get louder with my own vocal cords. Um, let me give you uh, a, little, uh, a little story about a potentially worst case scenario that I walked through. Uh, I, I went on a winter hike in December and it was in the snow and the ice. I went with some guys from church. We are in a discipleship group together. And it was such an intense hike that we had to buy uh, spikes for our boots and gaiters and uh, trekking poles and all kinds of things to get through the ice and the snow. And twice we slipped and were at risk of sliding down the mountain that we were on. Uh, the photo here, there's a nice fence there, but this is the parking lot. So it got more extreme on the, on the mountain. And um, one of us may have slid down the mountain a ways. <laughs> and uh, as I watched, so someone did. So as I watched the person who slid down the mountain, I had numerous worst case scenarios flash through my mind in a second because it could get really bad. And uh, it was like a, a heart pounding few seconds probably, it was probably seconds. And uh, fortunately, there was uh, minor bumps, scrapes, and bruises. And um, later I slipped also, and I, and I was in another spot, and uh, I had some spikes, and so I dug my spikes into the snow and was able to scramble back up. And I actually, I really like that. I like high adventure risks. I like being in dangerous situations, jumping out of airplanes, anything like that. I, so if I ever invite you on a hike and I say, it's gonna be easy, you should ask more questions. <laughs> so, <laughs> Fair warning, I have brought people into mountains that it didn't turn out into the uh, picnic they thought it was gonna be. So, and I'm just, <laughs> one time I went on a hike with a friend and uh, I'm like, oh, it's an easy hike. I brought my kids the next week and I'm like, what did they do to this hike? This is way harder this week. Like, because I had my kids, I realized how hard it actually was, but I didn't think about that the first time. So, worst case scenarios, could have happened on that hike. By God's grace, they didn't. You know, there's a popular book out, you can find it where they, wherever they sell books, called Worst Case Scenarios, and it's expert advice for extreme situations that you might find yourself in, such as how to escape from a sinking car, how to fend off a shark, how to maneuver from a moving train and get inside, how to survive when lost in the desert. There's like 40, over 40 worst case scenarios that you could read about. It's, it's entertaining, but actually also it's like real, real tips. So it's, it's, I guess it's entertainment to read about these. But most of those worst case scenarios seem pretty unlikely. The reason we're starting a series on this topic is because we're gonna be looking at some of the worst case scenarios that you might actually encounter in your own life. And there's, there's everyday worst case scenarios that come upon us, sometimes suddenly, sometimes without warning. When our own real life, worst case scenarios start showing up, we shouldn't be surprised. In, in 1 Peter 4.12 it says, Dear friends, 
Don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. The word surprised in this verse, uh, it comes from, the root is where we get our word for strange. The, the verb refers to being surprised or caught off guard as though something unex, some unexpected turn of events. So basically, the, what's being said here, when trials, difficulties, and pressures come along, it often tests us, but it should not surprise us. Sometimes we feel really shocked, like, what is happening? Why is this happening? We shouldn't be surprised. So we're going to look at some of the worst case scenarios of a guy named Simon Peter, uh, one of the closest disciples of Jesus, and actually the guy who wrote these words himself. So Peter wrote these words, and uh, he wrote a letter, it's called First Peter, and it was copied and circulated to the first century Christian churches. And so to understand why a guy like that would write words like this, don't be shocked when trouble comes. We'll, we'll have, we're going to back up to uh, some worst case scenarios that he experienced about 30 years before writing this letter. And really in one week, all that he had given his life to in the previous years came to a horrible end. And that's really what worst case scenarios do. They, they mess up this script that we have written in our minds. So if you, if you were to think about best case scenario, if you're, if you're trying to forecast the future, the best case scenario is when everything works out according to the plan in our minds. It's like you make a plan, you start executing the plan, and it just works beautifully. There's no surprises, there's, there's nothing that breaks or changes along the way. Worst case scenario is when nothing works out the way that you planned. You get into it and you're like, man, this is not how I saw this day going. This is not how I saw this year going. This is not how I saw this rolling out at all. So I don't know if you've ever experienced that, where you envisioned something going in a certain direction and it just went completely different. It went south in a really bad way. Turns out reality was a way harder than what your plan in your mind was. And so it may actually help you a little bit if you were to think in your mind, as we go through this message, uh, if you, if instead of anticipating worst case scenarios that might happen to you in the future, think about some worst case scenarios that have happened to you. That'll be a good frame of reference. Things that, man, they just left you reeling and you didn't know what to do, just things fell apart, it was a disaster. Think, think about maybe some situations in your life and I think in, in the end you'll be encouraged <laughs> if, you, if you go into that place. But when the worst case scenario happens, um, we're gonna look at some two other scenarios that might start occurring. So sometimes when a worst case happens, really what you're in is a faith scenario. When trouble strikes, it may be a time of building faith. As one of Jesus' closest followers, Peter experienced this. And, you know, when Jesus was crucified, Peter would have said, wow, I really saw that going differently in my mind. Jeez, this is, he had no, no anticipation that he would see Jesus hanging on a cross, taking his last breath. And so what I'm going to do in this message, I'm going to look at some scripture and some Bible verses together. I'm going to do something a little different. Instead of just reading from one text of scripture, I'm going to jump around so that we can get some snapshots from key moments in the life of Peter. 
And so you'll see some images on the screen representing these scenes. And so I'm going to back up to one of the first encounters that he had with Jesus. And so Peter was out at work fishing, and it says in Luke chapter 5, when he had finished speaking, Jesus, when Jesus finished speaking, he said to Simon, Simon's name is also Peter, said, put out, you want to switch me up here? Let's try this one. Test this microphone here. Thank you, guys. So he says, um, so Jesus tells Simon, put out into deep water and let your nets down for a catch. And really, this is, this is a moment when Jesus was a stranger, like some guy off the shore. And Peter's like, what's going on here? But, but it's almost like Jesus is saying to Simon, guy just barely met, trust me. It's almost like Jesus said, I, I know you can't see it, but this is an invitation for you to experience faith. So it says in verse 5, uh, Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and we caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. So when they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. They got so much fish. Verse 8 says, when Simon Peter saw all of this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, I'm, because I'm a sinful man, Lord. He just realized whose presence he was in in that moment. And it says in verse 9, for he had, and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. So were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Basically, Jesus said, follow me, and from now on, we're going to fish for men. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. So this, this first encounter that Jesus and Peter have together, Peter, this scene did not play out the way that Peter envisioned it in his mind. He had an idea of what this day of fishing would look like. It went really different. But his faith in Jesus began to grow. This is probably the starting point of him beginning to trust Jesus. So after that, Peter didn't leave his side for about three years. As Peter followed Jesus around and lived alongside him, he just kept being surprised, being surprised at how Jesus led, how Jesus loved people. And later during the final supper, Jesus even identified the traitor in their midst. They're having, they're having dinner together, and there's a traitor at the table, Judas. Jesus knew this, identified him, but did nothing. Why would you do nothing if you know who the traitor is? It, really, it must have been so confusing when G Judas gets up and leaves the table. He's exposed and he leaves. Man, Peter's probably thinking, this scene did not play out the way that I had envisioned it in my mind. Again. So later that night, in the very moment of betrayal, as Jesus is being arrested by a mob with clubs, soldiers, religious leaders, Jesus spoke to Judas in this way. In Matthew 26, he says, Jesus said, friend, friend, talking to Judas, why have you come? And they came up, they took a hold of Jesus, and they arrested him. And at that moment, one of those with Jesus, Peter, reached out his hand and drew his sword. He struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. Probably was going for something more lethal than his ear. Jesus told him, put your sword back in its place because all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. 
do you think, do you think I cannot call on my Father and he will provide me here and now with more than 12 legions of angels? So Peter, Peter steps in, I got this, dun, 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 like with the sword, tries to kill a guy. And Jesus says, I'm already, I, you're trying to protect me? I'm already protect, I'm, I've got like the ultimate secret service. <laughs> Peter, if I needed it, I could call down 72,000 angels to protect me right now. So we're in another baffling scene where Peter's like, this scene did not play out the way that I envisioned it in my mind. This just kept happening over and over. Once, once Peter told Jesus, he's like, Jesus, I will never deny you. Well, he publicly denied Jesus not once, but three times. Oh, man. <laughs> once Peter tells Jesus, Jesus, you don't need to suffer and die. That's not right. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Not the response he thought it was going to be. And then finally, here we get to the worst of all worst case scenarios. The very worst happens. The thing that they probably dreaded, feared, the ultimate letdown, the ultimate confusion and the pain really led up to this moment. And Peter watched Jesus get crucified. Peter and all the other disciples were struck with the deepest sorrow and fear, and they were hiding out. They didn't know that God was writing the next chapter of the story called the resurrection. They didn't know that yet. So Peter had worked out and envisioned his own plan for his life, for what would happen to Jesus. In his mind, all along, he's thinking Jesus is going to win. There's going to be a big confrontation, and Jesus is going to win. After all, he had been watching Jesus firsthand for three years, and there was really no barrier that could stand in Jesus' way. But now Jesus was captured and killed, and he, and he didn't fight. Why didn't Jesus fight? At each turn, Peter had a script in his mind, but someone greater had already written the script. God had a way of leading Peter and many other people through these really surprising scenarios. So it is for us today. The scenes of our lives are always going to play out in the way that God envisions it, even if it's not the way we envision it. And then there's one more surprise for Peter. After Jesus died and rose again, Peter and his friends were out on the boats fishing again. In John 21, Peter says, I'm going fishing, and we're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing after a whole night of fishing. So this is actually a lot like that first time he met Jesus. It's like, it's, it's like a deja vu moment. All night they fish, no fish. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Another, another guy, another guy just standing on the shore. Again, don't recognize who this is. Friends, Jesus called to them. You don't have any fish, do you? <laughs> that's what it says in verse 5. It's like, it's like if you ever see anybody fishing, that's what you ask him. Like, did you catch anything? <laughs> Guys, see in your bucket? And no, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat. And you'll find some. They're probably like, oh, the right side of the boat. Yeah, what? yeah, we did that. Uh, so they, but they did. They did what he said, and they were unable to haul in because of the large number of fish. Man, another miracle <laughs> happens. When Simon Peter heard it, when he heard it was the Lord, he's like, forget the fish. 
He untied his outer clothing around him, and he plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from land, about 100 yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish laying on it and bread. Um, Peter comes to Jesus through the water. He's just like, can't be, can't be contained, because he saw Jesus die. And here he is. Here's Jesus again, doing his miracle working, coming to be with them. So Jesus told them, bring some of the fish you've caught. Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. The first time, the nets were tearing, but this time, it was actually an even bigger miracle. What they needed was holding in place. And so this really must have been like a deja vu, deja vu moment for Peter. This is really like, this is like the first time he met Jesus. And, and here comes the surprising part, though. In, in John 21, 15, it says, When they had eaten some breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time, Jesus asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, Jesus told him. And then he asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Surely I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. So, Three times Jesus asked, do you love me? He wasn't questioning Peter's love. He was telling Peter how to love him, to feed my sheep. Lead and serve others and help people become followers of Christ. Until that week, Peter thought that his love for Jesus would be expressed by fight my enemies. But it wasn't that. It was feed my sheep. Again, the script is being rewritten in his mind. Basically, Jesus is saying, Peter, I want you to pour yourself into this brand new church that I'm establishing. Make your life about loving and serving these people. And why this is so surprising is because this is a very restorative moment for Peter. Because Peter denied Jesus three times. And now he was given a chance to reaffirm his commitment to Christ three times. Jesus allowed him to be restored. And despite that denial that Peter did, Jesus, Jesus chose him again. Jesus says, no, you're on my team, and I want you to work for me still. I got, I got plans and jobs for you. This, it's like this story comes full circle. The bigger script became more clear, where Jesus is basically saying, Peter, I have a purpose for you still. Keep fishing, keep leading, I'm going to use you. And so when you look at these scenes from Peter's life, it's almost like Jesus would say, you have a script, and I had a script. Mine won. You envisioned it one way. It actually went the way I wanted it to go. And, you know, we, we have these moments where we're like, man, wow, I really saw that going differently in my mind. God never says that. God never says, I saw that going differently, because it always goes his way. And so Jesus gave this scary foreshadowing to Peter's death in that, that last statement basically saying to Peter, you're going to die an awful death. 
when he said, follow me, it's like, follow me to death. But by now, Peter gained a new perspective on life, and even a painful death isn't the worst case scenario anymore. I think for a lot of us, maybe death would be the worst case scenario. Or the death of someone that we love would be the worst case scenario. But Peter, you know, maybe for Peter it used to be. Maybe Jesus dying was Peter's worst case scenario, but now it wasn't. Peter realized there was a much larger story being written that he just couldn't see yet. So I don't know if you have walked through any worst case scenarios. I don't know if you are currently walking through any worst case scenarios. I don't know if you fear that maybe some of the awful possibilities of things that might be headed your way. I don't know if you've ever been like Peter, where he's just shocked and bewildered and surprised when things take an unexpected turn for the worst. It's really in those moments that we're forced to wrestle with a question, is there a larger scenario than mine? Is there someone greater than me that's in charge of my life? And if there is, if there is someone writing my script, can he be trusted? Hmm. That's actually one of the hardest questions you may ever ask yourself. Can he be trusted? And if, and if you do believe that God is working out the details of a larger story in your life, that's called faith. If you believe him, you believe in him, and you trust him, that's faith. You know how people sometimes say that belief in God is a crutch to get through hard times? It's like kind of a condescending statement. And they'll say, you know... Bad things happen, and you're just going to stick a Band-Aid on it. Oh, yeah, just your, your religion is your crutch. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not saying when worst, the worst case happens, just try to, like, imagine things being okay or working out. The, qu the question I'm asking is about reality. Do you believe that God is actually real? Do you believe that there is a higher being with a wise, carefully crafted plan do you believe that God has an iron-fisted grip on all the events of human life and all the events of your life? Iron-fisted grip on how your life turns out. Do you believe that? So I'm not, I'm not asking about crutches. I'm asking about what's real and what's true about the spiritual realm. These are questions, these are questions about faith. So the worst-case scenarios, I think, are really faith scenarios doesn't feel that way in the moment. actually feels quite awful in the moment. But many times, the worst case is when people decide to put their faith in Jesus for the first time. Sometimes people are really just not that willing to humble themselves and yield to Jesus until the worst happens. Because life is fine. I got it. I got it covered. I'm going to do me. I'm going to do life my way. But then the really bad stuff happens, and it's like everything, everything comes into question. And really, those awful things, some of these worst-case scenarios happen. God allows it to happen, probably designs it to happen, to cause us to wake up spiritually and get a grip on the things that are truly real. So it's my belief that God is completely in control. I believe that he has written a script for every scene in my life, the ones that feel good and the ones that feel awful. Those especially difficult times 
allow us to answer the faith question. Will I trust God? Will I believe that God is good and that he's working out a good plan? If you choose, yes. And if you choose faith, and if you decide to trust God, then you get a second scenario. And I like to call it the sifting scenario. And so I'm going to look, we're going to look at one more interesting thing that Jesus tells Peter in Luke 22. He says, Simon, Simon, this is Peter, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So, Jesus tells Peter, you're entering a time of sifting. It's a process similar to what you've seen done to wheat. A wire mesh is constructed that only allows the kernels to pass through. And the purpose is to separate the impurities. We do this all the time with cooking, with colanders and strainers. You, you, want, you want to strain out the bad stuff, and you only want the stuff that's edible and good and nutritious. And in this analogy, faith is the thing that's being sifted. So our faith in God is often mixed with impurities. So we, we trust God. Man, you trust God. I trust God. But sometimes we trust some other things too. Like, sometimes our faith gets mixed in with financial security. Like, I feel really good about God when I'm financially set. Or our, an impurity is like staying healthy. God is good. Because right now I'm, I'm healthy and I have no problems in my body. Or some impurities are our are, are kids are happy and successful, but if they're not, I don't know. I don't know how much I trust God right now. Or my relationships are conflict-free. So, man, when, when I've got no pain in my relationships, God is good all the time. <laughs> or just when life is going well, basically what happens, we have faith, and then we sort of just trust God more when life is going well. But, man, that's, that's, that's an impure faith. So we've got, we've got a lot of faith when all the good stuff is happening and everything's neatly in place for life. God wants to see a faith that can stand strong on its own. It doesn't really matter if things are going well or bad or good or, or not. So how do, you, how do you separate the impurities out of faith? Tough circumstances in life. But when you walk through the worst case scenarios, there's a risk that your faith doesn't survive. So maybe trouble strikes, and then people, maybe they get bitter towards God. Maybe they turn their backs on God. And Jesus said he was praying that that wouldn't happen. Look at what he says in this verse again. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. I need Jesus to be praying for me too. Because sometimes, man, that sifting process is really painful. And Jesus gave Peter a preview, and he said, when, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So if you read on, Peter, Peter really did have some serious faith struggles, and, man, he denied Christ. He distanced himself from Jesus, but he turned back to Christ. And the strange thing about this verse, I don't know if you find this strange, but it's almost like there's this cooperation between God and Satan. Like, Satan's involved in the sifting process. Why, why would God involve Satan in your sifting process? I think the reason is because that wire mesh is constructed of material that Satan uses. 
he's the author of the worst case scenario. Satan delights in causing you pain and fear and doubt and destruction. Satan intensifies those unexpected moments that we encounter. So Satan is just, just glad to be a part of this sifting process because as you're getting sifted and you're going through it, he is hoping that your faith will fail. And he's just waiting to see you just get crushed under it. Satan wants to see us in pain and he hopes that the devastation is going to turn your hearts against God. And God is willing to lead us through this risky sifting process because our faith is the most precious of all commodities. A strong faith is more valuable than gold. First Peter, Peter writes this in his letter later. He says, you rejoice in this. These awful things. You rejoice in this even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, though perishable, is refined by fire. Sometimes it feels like a fire. So you may, you, may, you may have found yourself in situations where you would say things like, I just want this to be over. I hate this. I, I don't like this. I, or you might, you might find yourself where you say, this has, been, this has been the worst week of my life. Or this has been the worst year of my life. Or this is the worst outcome that I could have possibly imagined. This is awful. Or you might say, like, where, man, where was God in all of this? I don't know why this is happening. Have you, have you ever asked any questions like that at any point in your life? You know, when Jesus was tortured and crucified, that was arguably the worst day of his life, I would think. Also, it was the worst day for the disciples, too. Jesus was killed on a Friday. It was a day of death. But now it's called Good Friday. Why is his day of death called Good Friday? It's because the worst case scenario gave way to God's great plan. Friday is good because Sunday is coming. Resurrection. Saturday, the day in between, may seem like an eternity, but Sunday does come. So I don't know if you're walking through a fiery situation right now, or you have, but I, I wonder, do you, think, do you think that God's leading you through a faith scenario? Do you think maybe you're being sifted like Peter was? Could it be that Satan is aggressively interested in the collapse of your faith? Perhaps God is giving you the perfect opportunity to refine your faith so that it becomes as pure as gold. If you've never fully entrusted your entire life to Jesus, today would be a great day. You can escape Satan's plan to sift you and destroy you and step into God's great plan for forgiveness for your sins and redemption. So the next step for you, if that's you, if you, if you have not yet surrendered your life to Christ and you'd like to, the next step for you would be grab that connection card. There's a box that says, I want more information about following Jesus for the first time. If you do that, we'll talk. Actually, I'd really like to hear about your scenarios know what you've been going through. If you've already entrusted your life to Jesus, maybe the next step for you today is to deepen your faith. And we do this when we declare our trust in God's good plan. Because, by the way, just because you become a Christian doesn't mean everything goes great. Actually, sometimes the fires get hotter. So maybe for you, 
it's a struggle to say, I trust God. Man, I trust God that he's good through this. Maybe that's your next step, is to declare that. Declare that he's good, he can be trusted, and that I need to endure. And if he asks us to walk through the fire instead of around it, man, it would be great if, it would be great if we could go around the fire. But if he says you're walking through it, my friend, then it will ultimately be according to his good plan. And you can ask for help from God and also from other people to support you in the trial. He's, that's part of the reason we have a church. God has given us each other as a resource for each other. So you can ask for help. And the next step for you today then would be to reaffirm your faith in God to put all of your trust in him, like all of your weight. Just lean all the way in, step on to that trust fully as you walk through the trouble. And we do that through prayer, saying that to him. We do that through songs of worship. And we do that by keeping his word very close to our hearts when we get shaky. So if you want to know things like how to survive shark attacks or killer bees or charging bulls or other worst case scenarios, buy that book. But if you want to know how to handle some more of the specific trials in life that we encounter, then I would really invite you to join us for the rest of this series. And we're going to actually start working through 1 Peter over the next few weeks. And we'll look at how to survive a wildfire. Like, how do, how do you take the heat when you've been burned from attacks and insults from other people? Or how to survive a hostage situation. Like, if you ever felt a prisoner to your own passions and your own temptations, you're struggling to get to the surface. Or how do you escape from a mountain lion? Referring to the very real aggressive enemy who's seeking and stalking people to devour that we have as Christians. So we're going to look at what God is doing in the specific moments that we call worst. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for gathering us here together. Thank you for each person that you've brought here this morning. We trust that this morning is following this script that you've written. And so it's not a mistake that any of us are here. Uh, we trust you, Lord. And I pray for those that are, are sorting through questions of faith, questions of trust in your goodness, that you would lead them in your kindness, in your love, and your goodness, lead them to the truth. And for those that are walking through very difficult fires right now, I pray that you'd give the courage and the comfort that's needed to take those steps, and that we would put our hope firmly in you, what you have said, and what you're bringing us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.